guys ready to jump in? We got some work to do, and um, we might ruffle some feathers. Um, there might be a little conviction today. I am going to be one of those among us who is convicted. So if you feel or sense some conviction, uh, which is just the nudge of the Holy Spirit, you're not alone. I am with you. All right? You got it? Okay. We're in this series called Mind the Gap, and the idea behind the series came from in London, the tube. There's this gap when you're getting on and off the, the subway there that people would trip on, and when they tripped, it would cr create chaos and, and challenge, and so they started painting the sign that said, Mind the Gap, and you can hear it, Mind the Gap, all of those different things that are going on in the, because they don't want you to tr trip up. And and so we've been digging into this, and let me walk through just some scriptures to get us to where we are today. And here's, um, a couple weeks ago, Cameron kicked us off, and the couple of scriptures that, that were key was this. God wants to transform you and me, and he doesn't want to do this through image management. Uh, he doesn't want to do this just by working on the externals of our lives. God wants to transform us by changing the way that we think. The mind directs our action. And so you can work really hard to change what's out here, but if you don't work on the wiring up here, this will fail eventually. Are you with me? And so we want to take captive every thought to bring it in alignment with Christ. We want to take captive the thoughts that we have. We want to pay attention. We want to mind the gap between the lies and the truth that are happening between our ears up here because everything up here is going to change and direct what's happening out here. And um, so often in Christianity, and this is true for me in my life, I've worked really hard to change what's out here, right? I've worked to, to be more patient as a human. Like, I need to be more patient. Um, you can say amen if you're with me. Um, I've learned, I've, I've worked to be, I've worked really hard to be patient, but I haven't done the work up here. I haven't given the spirit space up here in order to change my thinking patterns, my, my neuro pathways, in order to, to just become a more patient person. And that when you, when you start reading the New Testament with, with this framework, it changes. I mean, it's unbelievable how much the teachings of Jesus and the writings of the New Testament are working on our, our minds. Uh, last week, I hope you walked away knowing there is an enemy. There is an enemy who wants to distract you from the life God has for you. There is a thief who has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. It, it's, it's his motivation. It is in front of him, and he is after your mind. Like the enemy wants to, to get into your mind, and he wants to steal and kill and destroy. And one of the ways this happens is we begin to buy into lies and those lies affect the ways that we view the world around us. And I talked about this in terms of, of mental maps. Um, we all create these mental maps in our minds. And the voices that we trust 
are the things that create these mental maps, and these mental maps are how we navigate the world. When, when we believe lies, the maps are distorted. And when the maps are distorted, it's what breaks relationships, it creates pain, drives us off, off course. And so making sure that we're believing truth is so primary to, to minding the gap, to, to coming back in alignment with what God has for us in life. Um, okay, so that's, that's, the, that's where we've been. And if you've missed the last couple weeks, you can jump online and, and kind of catch up. And where we're going today is there is a point at which what happens up here is affecting what's happening out here. And regardless of what you believe about God, this is true. Neurologists, uh, th those who are in psychology, tell us today that the mind is driving our lives in certain directions. So whatever you believe about God or what you don't believe about God, the truth of what you're going to hear today kind of you know, supersedes almost anything else because our minds are so very important to the ways that we live our life. Now let me give you a passage of Scripture, and uh, even if you don't believe that God exists, tell me if you think this is true. Um, Paul writes this, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Anybody? Sound familiar? Right? I mean, this is just a part of life. Like, we struggle with this. It, like, we know the good thing that we should do, but for some reason, we just don't do it. Have you ever been married? <laughs> Come on. Have you ever had kids? Are you, like, you know. You know the good thing, or, or you know what you want to do, and then you just don't do it. You, you just do the opposite of it, and you don't want to do the, the things, you know, that are, that are going to lead you in a bad place, but you do them anyway. Now, I, I thought some of you might go, I'm not sure if that's true. I'm not quite sure. And so I'm going to give you one example, and this, I mean, it's universal. So if it's on the table, <laughs> come on. You know, and I don't mean like what makes you feel good, but just the taste, just the taste. You know what I mean? Like if it's there in front of you and you're like, okay. I mean, I love vegetables. I grew up in the South. We fry everything, so vegetables taste awesome. Um, but if there's a donut or there's vegetables, I'm going to take the donut, you know, 99% of the time. I know what I should eat, but I don't. Like if I don't predecide, if I don't capture the thoughts in my mind, I'm just going to do it. And listen, our kids, our kids teach us this every single day. Because if you give them a bag of candy, they're going to eat every bit of it. Even if you tell them, listen, it's going to make you sick. You're going to throw up. Like, you, you shouldn't eat all that. They're just going to eat it all. Now, as adults, we, we learn to, like, manage how other people see this. But we do it. We know what's good for us. And we still go the other direction. Um, a pastor, I mean, years ago. Uh, he said this, wrote this, and I think this is so true. We make our decisions, and then our decisions turn around, and they make us. So we make our decisions. We're, we're making decisions in our minds, but then those very decisions that we've made in our minds by our outward activity turn around, and they make us. The food is just one picture of that. It's just a very practical way to understand this, is that we're making decisions about what we eat, but then what we eat is affecting who we are. Now that's kind of a, you know, oh, just an example. But this is true about relationships. 
It's true about attitudes. And the challenge with this, um, Cameron said this a few weeks ago, is that like the majority of our decisions that we're making every single day are pre-wired into our brains. We've made them years ago, but then they've begun to make us. And so we're, we're in an effort, we're on autopilot in so many decisions in life. Over 50% of the decisions you're making every single day, are, you're, you're making them because your neuropathways have been created and you're just doing them out of habit. And it's why capturing our thought is so very important. And unchecked, our thoughts unchecked do not lead to a good place. Now, the, the writer who said, the things that I want to do, I, I end up not doing. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. That same writer, he says this in the very next chapter of his letter. He says, the mind governed by what he calls the flesh. So there's this, there's this tension in Scripture between what's called the flesh and the spirit. And the spirit is talking about the spirit of God, and the flesh is talking about just what our natural inclinations are in this world. So he calls that the flesh versus the spirit. He says the mind that is governed by the flesh will lead to death. Does that make sense? So if you just go with the flow, if, if you just leave your mind unchecked, eventually it's just going to lead to death. But, he says, the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Which would you rather? I mean, that's a ridiculous question. Death or life? Which, which would you rather? De I mean, you would choose life and peace. And how many of you would say, gosh, if I could have some peace in this world, that would be awesome. Just a little bit of peace in this world would just be incredible. So he says, like just in the natural world, in, in, the, in the ways of the world, I want to do good, but I don't. And I don't want to do the things that I shouldn't do, but I end up doing them anyway. And, and Paul, as he's writing, he, he, he's just like, what a miserable person I am. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? I'm miserable. I'm a loser. Like, it's just terrible. But then Paul makes a shift and he says, but thank God that he sent Christ to redeem me, to give me freedom from all of that, and also gave me the spirit to lead me and guide me when I open my mind to him. The spirit is there actually to give me life and peace. God gives me everything I need to find true life in this world. God gives me everything I need if I will pay attention to what's going on around me. And another uh, writing in the New Testament. So prepare your minds. So here's where we go. So prepare your minds for action. It's just, it's crazy. If you start reading the New Testament, how much you're going to see the mind and the thinking play a, a role in this because everything starts in the mind. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Nobody wants to hear that. I want freedom. I don't want self-control. What we oftentimes think of as freedom actually leads to death. Self-control, making wise decisions. Now, come on, if you've ever been married, you know this is true. Self-control is good. It leads to freedom in marriage. So now... <laughs> Peter writes this, and I, you know, this scares me. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. 
You must be holy in everything you do. Holy cow, how do you, like, no pun intended. Like, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you. And one of the challenges with that is we see the word holy, and I, I think sometimes we, we misunderstand what it means. So often the word holy seems so big and intimidating, and I feel like what holy means, just in, in my mind, I feel like it means perfect. I feel like Peter is telling me, I need to be perfect just like God is perfect. Do you ever feel that? Does, does that make sense? And so it's so intimidating, like, oh my goodness, how can I be perfect like God is perfect? But that's not what holy means. Holy in Scripture doesn't mean perfect like God is perfect. Holy in Scripture is speaking of being set apart or uncommon to the world in which, in which we live. That when, when it says that God is holy, yes, God is perfect. He's all-loving. He's all-knowing. We can't be all-knowing as humans. We have limitations. What, what Peter is writing is that just as God is set apart, different than the world, sacred, so should we be set apart. So should we be uncommon to what else is going on in the world. We, we, should, we should look and live differently, in a pure way. Um, I gave you a few books that might be helpful if you want to dig into this further. And one of the authors, she writes this, people do not drift towards holiness, right? So people don't just drift to become more like God. People don't drift to be, become un, uncommon, um, apart from grace-driven effort, now this is really important that it's driven by grace, not by some sort of legalism or earning our place with God, because that you can't do that. You can't earn. Let me, okay, so everybody check back in. You cannot earn your place with God. It's set by Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. You are a son or daughter of God. Nothing you've done to earn that, nothing you can do to earn that. So when she says grace-driven effort, it just means that you're cooperating with the Spirit. You're simply just coming in line with what the Spirit wants to do in you. Um, so we don't just naturally drift towards holiness. We don't gravitate towards godliness or prayer or obedience to Scripture, faith, and, and delight in the Lord. That's just not natural. It's something that you have to come into alignment with the Spirit working in us so that we might become uncommon like God so that we might become set apart, different. How, how, do, we, how do we do this? Um, humble yourselves before God. So there's some, there's some things that we can do in how we place ourselves before God. So humble ourselves before God, which means we, are, we become aware of God, and we recognize our place before God. We humble ourselves before God. We, we make an, we're actively resisting temptation in our lives. So we have to capture the thoughts and we have to actively resist the, the, the lies that are present in our minds. And then we, we, we draw close to God. We come close to God and it promises that he'll come close to us. Th this is... This is so difficult in our world because anytime you begin talking about um, behavior or obedience or the ways that we live out here, 
automatically people begin to, to like throw up uh, alarms like legalism, like you're trying to earn your way. Um, it's all about grace. You, like we don't have to do any, absolutely, you're, you're right. Like you don't have to do anything to earn your way with God. But God invites us to cooperate with his spirit. And when we do that, we find life and we find it abundantly. And we find what Paul said is peace in life. How many of us need some peace in this world? Yes, all of us, we need peace. And the way we find that is not just by doing whatever we want. The way we do that is by cooperating with the very life that God gives us through his spirit. John Mark Comer, another one of the authors that we've been reading, says this, giving in to the desires of the flesh does not lead us to freedom in life as so many of us assume. Now I want to walk through this and like let's, let's hear what he's saying. Instead, giving in to whatever we want, like whatever the flesh desires, whatever, like just whatever comes in front of us, it actually leads to slavery. And in the worst case scenario, addiction which is a kind of prolonged suicide by pleasure. Now listen, if you've ever been around or if you've ever struggled with alcoholism, if you've ever been around an alcoholic, they would, they would say, yes. That like alcohol has this, this kind of like, no, no, I have freedom to, to, to whatever I want in front of me and for many of us, like we, we become depressed or overwhelmed by the things that are, or we have so much pain that alcohol feels like an escape. It feels like freedom. It feels like it's, it's letting us out of what we have. So we feel like it's giving us freedom. But alcoholics who, who, are, who, who have captured their thoughts would say, no, no, what actually happens is when I give in to what I think I want, I become controlled by that very substance. I'm addicted. And over time, it's, it's like suicide by pleasure. Alcohol, alcoholism is one way to look at it, but there's, there's all kinds of addictions in our lives. There's sexual addictions, which are the same exact thing. Um, in John Mark Comer's book, he begins to ask questions like, you know, we, we look back to the 60s and 70s and we think about free love and the sexual revolution and all that, but not many people look today at the results of what happened in the 60s and 70s and begin to ask the question, did it really lead to the kind of freedoms we thought it would lead to in the world today? It's, it's interesting that depression and isolation are at all-time highs coming off a season when we are experiencing free love. Crazy. When you start to really think, like we use our minds to think about the lies and the truth and which direction we lean into. So what do we do? So um, we, we talk about in the, in the church and what scripture talks about, I, I hesitate to use this word because we just, we shy away from it. But spiritual disciplines, because we hate the word discipline, don't we? Some of you are like, ooh. Nobody wants to be disciplined. Spiritual disciplines, some traditions call it means of grace. So it's, it's, it's ways of experiencing God's grace in our life. 
others call it practicing the way of Jesus. Here's what it is. Intentional habits that regularly interrupt one's day in order to become aware of God's presence, his spirit, and to align ourselves with him. This is what spiritual disciplines are. It's regular interruptions, intentional interruptions in our day in order to capture the thoughts that we're having and bring them into alignment with God's spirit who is all around us and within us every single day. That's what spiritual disciplines are. And the more we practice spiritual disciplines in our lives, the more we begin to rewire our brains in, a, in an effort to walk into the life and the peace that God's spirit wants you to walk in. Um, you know this, I've told you this before, it's just one of the terrible um, things that is just a part of, of my mind now. I, um, in high school, I, I played football. I know you've never heard that, but um, I played football, and we, we had two bread and butter plays, and it was 14 and 15 beer. And 14 and 15 beer, I had this step first, and this was my second step, and my eyes went directly to Nick, you're the defensive end. My eyes went directly to Nick, the defensive end, and I, my next step was based on what he did. If he took a step down, there's no way he's going to be able to tackle me, so I'm going to pull the ball from my fullback. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm going to pull the ball from my fullback, take a quick step around, and then I can go to the second level to an outside linebacker or safety coming up, and I can pitch off them. It's a triple option. It's basic. Now, <laughs> 14 and 15 beer. So here it is. 14 and 15 beer. Step one. Step two, I'm reading Nick right there. Step three, either my fullback has it, I have it, and then I'm going to read a second-level person. Super simple. Fifteen beer, opposite side. One, two, then I'm reading out. Now, I ran this play. We, we ran this play thousands upon thousands of times in practice. We practiced again and again and again and again and again. And it did not matter what the defensive front looked like. I knew exactly what I was going to do when I came to the line. I was reading anyone head up to outside of our tackle, Nick. And I was going to play based on what that person did. The play was all based on what that person did. And I could get to the second level and then off what that person did. Super simple. The reason it's super simple is because I did it every single day, hundreds of times. Thousands of, uh, thousands of times in the four years that I played high school ball. I could draw the play for you, and I could draw what every player on the line did, and I could tell you what their first step is as well. For example, our tackle had to have an inside first step and dip his outside shoulder so that I could read that defensive end. So that was his first step every time. Inside step, dip the shoulder, and he got up. He either helped down or he helped up to the second level. Some of you are like, are you a football coach? <laughs> no. Listen, spiritual disciplines are not built, the church hasn't been practicing the ways of Jesus in order to make us slaves to some sort of legalistic behavior, but rather to give us freedom to experience the life that God wants us to experience. The reason I practiced those plays wasn't because my coach wanted me to be a slave to a playbook, but rather to give me freedom to enjoy the very game I wanted to play. 
Come on, that'll preach. You know what I'm saying? Like we did it thousands of times, not because our coach was some sort of crazy. He wanted to give us freedom to experience the joys of football and to be freed up to just react in the moment. And the reason we do spiritual disciplines is not to make us slaves to anything, but rather to give us freedom so that in the moment of crisis in life, which we all face, we know where to go to find life and peace and joy and hope. That is why we practice the spiritual disciplines. Are you with me? And they eventually become natural to us, not because they're natural to humans, but because we become so informed and filled with the Spirit, but it's just what we do. And one of the challenges of the church today is we've stayed away in the name of freedom. We've stayed away from spiritual disciplines because we didn't want anyone to think we were becoming legalistic. And what has happened is we've just, we've just merged our way into the culture. And for so many of us, we are no longer distinct. And listen, this is where the conviction comes for me. We are no longer distinct from the primary culture that's all around us. And what grew the church and gave life to people was the distinctness, the holiness of living different than the primary culture at large. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Caroline Leaf from South Africa, world-renowned. I mean, many of you have heard her name many different places. Psychologist, she's... Um, Neurology, I mean, she's brilliant. Listen to this. It's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over eight weeks of time can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scale. Think about that. This is spiritual disciplines, like in a scientific study of the brain, that focused daily prayer for 12 minutes, over eight weeks of time, can literally change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scale. Is that unbelievable? It's, it's amazing. I mean, this is just the scientific world discovering what God has wanted us to find all along is where we can find life. Practicing regular interruptions in our life so that we can step into it. So here's... Um, couple quick things and we'll be done, I promise. Um, here's, mind the gap. Here's where we've been. Is that you gotta cap, we've got to capture our thoughts. We've got to pay attention to what we're thinking. We've got to pay attention to what we're thinking. And, um, and you, you, you need to know that you can rewire your brain. You gotta remove, we've got to remove the lies of the enemy. What, what the enemy wants us to believe, we, we, have to, we have to resist those lies. Resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the lies that are there. You're not good enough. You'll never be smart enough. You can't do it. Nobody wants you. Nobody loves you. Like resist those thoughts and they'll flee from you. Replace the lies with the truth. You are a masterpiece. I mean, I went through these last week. You are a masterpiece. You are a new creation. Like you have, you've moved from death to life. Replace those lies with truth and then walk in the spirit. Do the next right thing. We, eventually you have to come to the place where you, you're, you're not just in your mind. You've got to do the right things out here. You've got to become obedient to the spirit that lives within you. 
And as we become obedient to the Spirit, as we, we, we find freedom. We find freedom to no longer capture ourselves in the very addictions that lead us to death. So a couple questions. Um, how have we been, th- these are super convicting to me, so I'm not just throwing them at you and saying this is about you, because uh, these are convicting to me. How have we been discipled by the world rather than formed by the Spirit? That's just a convicting question. How have I just been discipled by the world all around me and, and failed to be formed by the Spirit that God's given given me? In what ways, another way to ask that is, in what ways have we just been assimilated by the prevailing culture? Right now, my mind's running because there's a couple things I want to say, but I'll save that for another sermon. Am, am I uncommon? So just personally, am I uncommon? Am I set apart? Am I living a distinctly different life than what is normative to those around me? I almost put this up on the screen. There's There's a... There's a gap between um, what we call legalism and license. So legalism is I just do these things because I've got to do them. License is I have freedom so I can do whatever I want. And actually in today's world, I mean, for years we were speaking against the, the legalism thing. In today's world, we've given so much license that um, we, we are no longer distinct. We're not a distinct community. Many of us aren't, aren't distinct or uncommon. And um, those are the very things that God wants, he wants to do in us. Not to make us slaves to some sort of activity, but rather to give us freedom and peace. So what I want to do is I want to close with a passage of scripture from Ephesians. I'm going to just read it. It'll be on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4. Maybe write that down and go back to it because I think it's a great example And then we're going to sing and we're going to take communion together. And one of the reasons we want to end with communion, this series with communion, is because communion, when we take communion, when we taste the bread and the juice that represents the body and blood of Jesus, um, there's there's a sort of, if we will see it, there's a sort of purification in that. Like we are made holy by what Christ has done. So when we take communion, we are literally being set apart. Like that's part of taking communion. We're making a commitment to be set apart like Christ. So, um, so here's the passage of Scripture. Since you have heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth that comes from him, here's where you have to make a decision to throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by, look at this, lust, wanting what you don't have. Lust is wanting what you don't have. And deception, the lies of the evil one. I'm telling you, it's all through the New Testament once you begin paying attention, the idea of the mind. So lust, wanting what you don't have, and deception, believing the lies. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy when you begin to put on that that new nature. So stop, so here are the practical steps. So what do you do practically? Well, stop telling lies. It's like, duh, don't lie anymore. Tell your neighbor the truth. And it's not just talking about the person next door to you. It's talking about anybody you come in contact with, your neighbors. Tell everybody the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. 
And don't sin by letting anger control you. We all get angry. Just don't let it control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Like, work through it. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. And if you are a thief, quit stealing. Okay? Instead, use your hands for good work. And give generously to those in need. Now, this next one, I know. Don't use foul or abusive language. I know, I know. It's, everybody does it. It's all over. Like this is just, I mean, it's not even really foul or abusive language anymore. It's just common. The teachers in our kids' school, it's just common. At, at, at the store, the person who's checked, like it's just, it's just common. It's just all around us. And so Paul says, be uncommon. Don't use foul foul or abusive language. Let everything you say actually be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you. He's marked you as his own and he guarantees that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. And then he sums it all up, this last, last part. So get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger. And you're like, how do I do that? Spiritual disciplines. Regular interruptions in your day to become aware of God's presence and to align yourself with him. Get rid of those harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So it all begins with what God has done for you. So we're gonna sing and then um, I'll come back and we'll take communion together. So if you don't have the elements, you can, you can grab them. You don't need to be a member of this church to take communion. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, take communion with us. Let's stand and sing together.